Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited to welcome today's guest. So he's played in over 116 FIV events for New Zealand. He coached super best friend of the show, Ben Saxon and Kane Schalk at the 2016 Olympics. He's currently coaching Phil Dalhauser and Nick Lucena, and he's also coaching at Florida State. So I can't wait to pick his brain about his playing career and now recent coaching career. Please welcome to the show, Jason Lockhead. Jason, thanks for doing this. So Jason, in, in Canada, I think we get stereotyped that we always start off playing hockey. So I'm wondering with you being a New Zealand guy, were you pressured to play rugby or any other sports or how did you find beach volleyball to be your sport? Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, rugby definitely dominates New Zealand and my dad is actually a really good rugby player. So yeah, us growing up as kids, we definitely had that sport and got in it a little bit, but I don't know, like we we, we were encouraged to like try every kind of sport, you know, out there, which I think you know, I thought it was uh, the best way to do it because then you kind of get that really good feel and find what you love. And I, I don't know, I just kind of seen like uh, my parents got into volleyball a little bit when they were a little bit older, and then I'm the youngest uh, in my family. And my sister, who's the oldest, she got into volleyball, and my brother um, got into it as well. And then I kind of just followed suit, you know while playing other sports at the same time. Now, just looking at your BBB account, it doesn't look like you played a lot of like youth events on the FIV tour. So were you playing domestically and then decided to go to the world tour or what was your progression into like the pro ranks? Yeah, um, a little bit of a funny story there. Yeah, so yeah, I played on the New Zealand tour and pretty much I played the local events and then got on to the, the New Zealand national tour and played those events and slowly built my way up. But um there was the Junior Olympics, I, can't remember, I think it might have been like early 2000s, but my brother was two years older than me, and um, at the time, I think I was actually ranked higher than him, but um, because he was in his last year to be eligible to play in the Junior Olympics, my mum said he should go, and then, so he got to go and play for New Zealand at the Junior Olympics, and then they didn't have the Junior Olympics in the next like. I think eight years or something. Oh, wow. So I, I didn't get to go. <laughs> so that was kind of brutal. But uh, obviously at the time I was a little upset about it, but obviously I understood uh, why. Um, and my brother actually said it would have been pretty cool if me and him had actually played together in it. But um, we always struggled when we were young playing together, so it might not have worked out too well. Nice. So looking like you came out of the gate in 2004 when you played on the FIV, like you played 12 events in your first season on tour. So what was that experience like? Was that a big jump going from domestic to the world tour? Because at that time we didn't have the star system, right? So were you going to to opens and grand slams and playing against top teams right away? Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty lucky like on the New Zealand tour, the company that ran it uh, did an awesome job and they would always get like two like top teams out there so we had the Lasker brothers come out and play you know we had uh, Christoph Diekman Julius Brink um, you know we, we had really good teams coming out so when I was like 16, 17, 18 I was playing against the best New Zealand teams but also getting chances against those guys as well so that was like a you know almost like a confidence builder for me because you know I was getting close to them in games and so then uh we and Kirk uh, asked me, I was like, you know, I saved up a ton of money and I was like, yeah, I'm ready to do this, let's go. Um, and then we kind of just jumped straight into it with the mindset of, hey, we have this amount of money, we have enough to go out and to travel the world for the whole year and we'll see how we go. And we were pretty lucky that uh, the very first event we played in, that we made it into the main draw and made some money right at the which <laughs> a little bit of a funny story so our game to qualify in that tournament my very first world tour tournament was against rich van Heusen and uh, conrad nice and they were uh the game before that uh we were playing uh, not a very good team and they were watching the game they, they told me this later on when we kind of became friends uh but so they were watching us play and they said that they were watching us and we were playing terrible in the first set and we ended up losing the first set and they were watching it and they were like, these, these teams are terrible. So they left and then uh, we ended up finding our stride and finding our rhythm and ended up, you know, winning the second set and the third pretty easy. And then so then when they came into the game against us, they thought, you know, these guys weren't good, we still didn't play, they weren't good at all. I guess we kind of came out of the gate pretty, pretty hot and kind of got them on their back foot and, uh, 
yeah, ended up beating them, which I think they were a little bit shocked about. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, I'm always curious when we have beach players on the show, how did you and Kirk find the format? Like, how did how was it getting on a plane and knowing you're not even officially in the tournament, that you're going to have to grind it out through a qualifier? Because you mentioned, like, travel being an issue, like, funding's pretty limited. So knowing that you could go to an event and make zero money, like, how did you guys deal with that going into these events? Yeah, I mean, I was so young. I mean, I was just eager to get out there and have a crack at it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I traveled uh, a little bit. My brother went to uh, UC Barbara. So, I mean, I went over to the States when he was there and I played in a couple of local American events. Um, and then I played a few Asian tour events before we actually went on the world tour with Kirk. So that kind of got me a little bit of a feel of what it was going to be like. But I mean, I always tell young people, <laughs> like, um, you just got to go out and do it, you know? Like, I think too many people, like, worry, like, oh, I, I, you know, am I going to have enough money? Am I going to, you know, how am I going to survive? We're just like, okay, save up and then just go do it. If you run out of money, then you come home. And uh, that's the kind of mindset we went in with it. And we went out there, and, like I said, luckily the first tournament we played and we made the main draw, so we won some money there. And then we kind of like, I, I can't remember how you might have it on stats here, but I think maybe we made like four main draws that first year. You're um, right. Yeah, four. Exactly. Four out of 12. Nice. Yeah. So we kind of pretty much broke even with like, you know, our expenses. And so it was kind of, that was our kind of mindset. It was go out there, get that experience. Hopefully we don't lose all our money, but we managed to make a few main draws and break even. But I think, yeah, I feel like some people get, into that factor where they're like, oh, I don't want to go out there until I have like these big sponsor deals or, you know, it's like, no, you need to go out there and prove yourselves and then that stuff will kind of come. Now, I think our listeners might be interested to hear that out of your 116 events, you played 114 with Kirk. So what was it like having like a steady partner for that long? Like you guys must have, one, got along really well. But what was it like knowing going into your seasonal plan that like that was somebody you've been in some battles with? Because your results continue to climb, right? Like the next year uh, you made eight main draws. Uh, two years after that, like you're on the podium and taking top tens. Like obviously you were, you were building together, but that, that's a long time to play with the same guy, I feel. Yeah, really long time. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I, I think, uh, I don't know who quoted it first, but I remember hearing from someone else where they said it's like a marriage. Yeah, and it totally is because you're, you're flying with this person, you're in the same room, you're working out, you're playing with them, and you're going through this roller coaster of like awesome times and then super hard times and kind of up and down. But um, I mean, it's tough. Like, there's, yeah, there's these great times when you're having a blast and everything's going well, and then there's definitely runs when you're losing and you're kind of sitting around trying to train and you're kind of getting angry but um, I think me, me and Kirk we definitely had our times when we were angry at each other but for the most part we were pretty good like I think we had different personalities so we weren't the same which so we kind of like balanced each other out in that sense quite well but no there, there, there was a, a lot of really good times but there were definitely some tough times out there um, now, some Canadian fans would actually recognize Kirk's name as somebody who coached a little bit with uh, Heather and Brandy. And obviously, with you being involved in the coaching game, were you guys having these tactical conversations on tour? Or were you both so much in love with volleyball that like coaching was going to be the natural progression for you? Yeah, I wish uh, we, we've actually talked about this uh, when we saw each other on the World Tour, uh, that we wish we knew what we know now back when we were playing. <laughs> <laughs> We had uh, Craig Susu, who was with us in the beginning, and he was, I mean, an amazing player himself from New Zealand. He actually coached uh, Lara Ludwig and uh, Sierra from Germany and to the Olympics. I mean, he, he was an awesome coach. And then we had uh, Jeff Conover, who uh, coached uh, April Ross and Jennifer Kessie. Um, and we were with them with him at the same time he was coaching them to the Olympics to win that silver medal so I mean we've had like really good coaches but we never really got into like a ton of video and uh, all that kind of stuff but it was more like hey you know what did we do against this guy last time or what, what do you well, like we'll watch them live you know the match before and we'll kind of watch and we'll talk a little bit about that but nowhere near what we kind of do now you know, as coaches which is pretty interesting yeah 
Yeah. Is there an example uh, you can give us? Cause I'm sure our listeners ears are perking up. So what are some other lessons? Like obviously video, I, I feel like the beach games professionalized a lot, maybe not to the point where indoor is, but it's definitely further than it was. So what were some other lessons that you look back and be like, man, this would have been really useful in like 2007. When you say stories and uh, listens, there's one that jumps to mind, which is kind of the, the reverse of what, <laughs> what uh, a probably is. But I remember, I can't remember what year was it. I think it might've been 2007. And uh, we were playing Marquis and uh, Aaron Kaju, and we, we ended up beating them. Uh, I think it was kind of close, but not too close. And after the match, I remember talking to Mark, and he was like, you did nothing you did in the previous game against us. Because apparently they watched video on us, and when I was when I was attacking, every time I stepped outside the line on my approach, I would hit the ball line. And every time I started inside the line on my approach, I would hit angle. And then I guess when I played against them, I did the complete opposite. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, obviously, video can hurt you a little bit sometimes. But um, no, I mean, like I think like today. We have like so much video where you can like break it down to like, okay, every time that person hits the line, what does it look like? Every time that person hits the angle, what does it look like? And you can see it all in a row. And then the same with like serves, like where do they go? All the percentages out of system, in system, where the percentages going? Um, I mean, all that stuff, like obviously. I always talk about my teams like this isn't a hundred percent, you know, this isn't going to happen every single time, but most of the time, they're doing this when they go on those positions. Um, I think that's always a really good mindset to have. Is like it's not going to be a hundred percent because we have win, we've got to end. You know, we're watching video from these previous tournaments that they were at, but we're at a totally different venue now, and the sand's different, the sun's different, the wind's different. So it's always going to be slightly different. But having that all that information um, definitely helps if you can use it in the right way. Nice, nice. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. We've actually had uh, Marquise on the show and he shared some details about what it was like for him being undersized, I guess. And we've also had Todd Rogers. Todd basically said if there was 500 balls that weekend, he was getting 480, right? So not, not to label you as undersized, but uh, the reality is like a, a six footer around there. What was your attitude going into games? Like, did you know you had to be the guy who was going to side out or how did you you know, go with those situations in the, in the land of giants, right? Because obviously the blockers just keep getting bigger and bigger, it feels. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I feel honored that you're putting me in the same size category as them because, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're like six foot, six one, I'm five teen. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Marquise was actually, uh, I remember going out on the tour early on and, and like obviously he was one of the guys I, I looked up to because he was a small guy and he'd obviously done so, so good. And, uh, I was pretty lucky that I became pretty good friends with him and we got to chat a lot and train together and I kind of got to pick his brain a bunch. But, um, yeah, I mean, being a small guy, you know, uh, before the games even started, if no one's even seen you play before, you're going to get every ball. And that's just kind of the way it is. But I, I kind of, like, um, I kind of wanted the ball almost because, like, that, that's probably one of the reasons why I stopped playing uh, indoor and went more towards beach. That's because on indoor, you've got six guys on the court. You know, you sometimes you don't even touch the ball in a rally. You know, I, I wanted to be in the action. I wanted to, to have the ball as much as possible and feel kind of more under control. But I also had that mindset of like, if, if I'm playing good enough that they have to serve my partner who's, you know, taller than me and gets up way higher than me, then, you know, I know, I know I'm doing something really good. So that was always my kind of personal goal every game was like can i make them serve my partner nice nice yeah that, that's a really good attitude to have so moving along with your your playing career i'm wondering did you guys ever connect with the young group because obviously i think when people think of new zealand like you were the team of that era and you guys played a lot did you ever have any conversations or influence over like the o'day brothers or any of the uh, up-and-comer players like, i'm just wondering what the scene is like in new zealand as far as like what today's players are doing did you feel like you and kirk had like a positive influence on them I mean, I hope so. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we, well, we um, the 2012 Olympics, um, they brought out that new format where yeah, if you went in the top 16, you, then you had to go through your continental phase and you needed two teams. So we knew that all came about and we knew we needed that second team. So uh, Sam O'Day and Ben O'Day kind of became our team that we were like, hey, we need you guys to start getting... I mean, they were already 
pretty damn good at that stage. But we were like, we need you guys to come out on the world tour and get experience. And, and we actually brought them, uh, we got some of our funding money to bring them out to tournaments and get them that experience on the world tour. Uh, so we were trained with them a bunch back then. And, and then uh, we actually ended up playing some tournaments where I played with Sam O'Dane a few and I played with Ben O'Dane a few, which was a ton of fun. Um, just you know, because obviously I've been playing with Kirk for so long, and it was it was kind of fun to have that someone different for a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, and actually, we uh, so Mike Watson was the young one out there. We actually brought him out as a coach for a couple of years, um, so we paid for him to travel around with us because we didn't have a coach at that stage, and we needed someone kind of to help us warm up and train. And so we said, hey, we'll pay for your flights, and if we do really good, we'll give you a little bonus, but. We kind of just need someone to help us out, and he was he was all for it. And he got to experience the world tour, which I think he loved, and he, he made a bunch of friends while he was out there. He might have had too good of a time, though. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's that's a great story. I'm glad I asked that. That's great that you guys not only had an influence through your play, but you're actually pulling them along and getting them on tour. That's awesome. So, as you're progressing and going through, when did you decide that? you were going to stop playing and that coaching was going to be your next move. Like obviously that time comes for us all where we're just not going to play the whole time. But when did you and Kirk decide that like, okay, this, this is our last shot. Was it going to be the 2012 Olympic games or where was kind of the, the landmark if you had to pick a spot? Yeah. I mean, I think it was, it was a little bit of a weird one. Um, but I don't think it was kind of like, Hey, this is going to be it. This is going to be our last run. It was more like 2008, we got kind of close because it, it used to be the system where we was the top 24 in the world uh, got to go to the Olympics. And I think, I think we were around 28, you know, so we were kind of close. And then the next one, 2012, was the top 16 had to be in. And I think we ended up like 19th or 20th. Where, so we would have been in the Olympics if it was the old version. And so we kind of went through that just total grind all these years. And that was always a big goal, make Olympics, make Olympics. And then, uh, kind of missing those few, we kind of were like, hey, we, we need like a, maybe a break from Ella for a little bit. Like it was just, just felt like a, such a grind we'd been through and the huge disappointment of not making it again. Um, it was really tough. And so we were like, okay, why don't we, you know, play with the young guys each? So um, I think I think Coop was going to play with Ben and I was going to play with Sam and maybe play with them for like a year. And then they could get some points, and then we join back up, and then they they join up, and you know they could be a way of helping them get out and letting us get fresh time. And then uh, I think Kirk decided that he was done, and so then it was kind of just me. But then I don't know, it was when FIB were changing the rules, and they were deciding like this whole new system where I think you had to go. There were no qualifiers for like the big tournaments. So then you had to go through like you had to go through the small tournaments for like a long time, and I was like, man, do I really want to do a whole year of just grinding and like qualifiers? Like where I, I felt like I'd done that a long time ago. I'd kind of been in the main draw for a while, and I just wasn't sure if I wanted to do that again. So I was like, why, why don't I just take a year off and kind of like you know see, see what else there is? And and, and I, in my mind, I always thought I'd probably come back. And then I would take that year off and I'd probably come back into playing. Um, but I actually, uh, I decided to take that year off and I, <laughs> I decided to actually get into golf, which is kind of crazy. Um, I always loved golf and I was like, I wanted to give golf a serious go. So for that 2013, I just like played golf and went to tournaments and uh, tried to see how far I could go pretty much. Super fun. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because when I reached out to our, our super best friend of the show, Ben Saxton, that was one of his first yeah. comments back. Is like, you have to bring up golf because this guy's legit. So, are you still competing, or do you get out once a week? Like, how often are you golfing currently? Um, currently, um, I'm golfing a good amount, but actually, the last like before the quarantine COVID hit, um, I probably hadn't really played in like a year and a half, just because I was actually finishing my. Um, my college uh, degree because obviously I, I went out on the world tour so young that I never finished it. So I actually went back and and I was finishing that off. So I never I, I couldn't play golf for a while. But since the COVID has hit and the quarantine's gone down, I've managed to play a bit of golf, which has been fun. Yeah, wow! Well, congrats on that because you're right. I think you were 19 or 20 when you went full time on your first year. Yeah, 
Nice. Yeah, my mom was uh, a little worried about me. <laughs> one of your earlier comments there i just want to round back to so when the plan was to play with the younger guys i'm always interested because i think people at federations think oh it's such an obvious thing let's put the kid with the vet and they'll figure it out but what are some yeah. like real life examples you can give so you mentioned the points thing uh todd when we had him on the show mentioned like just showing people how to travel and what they're going to need to do like little tricks of the trade that way so in your opinion as a coach now what is a player who is going through that what are some actual tangible things that the vet can give the young guy to kind of show them the way? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I think obviously Todd mentioned some really good stuff like the traveling, like I think how, how to deal with like, you know, booking all this stuff yourself. So I think, you know, with a lot of other sports teams, um, you know, they have managers and everyone sorts it out for them, but we have to book our own flights. We have to book our own hotels. You know, we have to sort shuttles to pick us up for, you know, taxis, everything. Um, so I think, like, for me, that was, like, a huge eye-opener. <laughs> when I was just 20 years old and I was trying to sort all this out. But I think that's something that, you know, you can definitely pass along on uh, tips and stuff, how to make it a little bit cheaper and better. Um, and then probably the biggest thing is just that uh, handling each moment, like, you know, coming up against these people you've heard about that are so amazing and, and dealing with it and how to, like, not make it into a bigger thing than it is and just go out there and be able to just play free um, and sort of those big moments when you have those opportunities to win and, and kind of just clutch it out instead of, like, overthinking it properly. Was there a player on tour that the first time you saw them walk by, you're like, whoa, that's, like, Ricardo or that's so-and-so? Or did you have, like, a starstruck moment? Um, I was probably I was probably a little useless when I was young um, <laughs> on knowing all the top players in the world. Um, I pretty much knew the teams that came to New Zealand and then a few that I'd heard of, but I I didn't even know if there was really, like, it was a YouTube back then. I don't think there was, um, which makes me feel old. But, <laughs> you know, I don't feel like there was a way for me to really watch all these people. Obviously, I heard of Kash Karai and Sinjin Smith and Ricardo, but um, those were kind of the main ones. And then, yeah, it wasn't until my very first tournament I went out there and we went and watched the final and yeah, Ricardo was playing in the final and I was like, wow, this guy's ridiculous. <laughs> like just seeing how good he was live and, and that was when he was like, like he still obviously jumped pretty good but he was like, back then he was jumping. Uh, it was pretty crazy. Nice. Actually, yeah. you bringing up YouTube reminds me when I was just doing some research for the show. What was it like doing the Haka on center court at one of the Austria events? Was that in Klagenfurt or Vienna? But like, it was just like a cool moment. I was wondering what that was like with you and Kirk. And was that planned out or how did that come to be? Yeah, that was in Klagenfurt. Best tournament. I mean, that that was the most, uh, everyone wanted to do well at that tournament. It was like so well run. Crowds were insane. And uh, yeah, we were super lucky to have a really good tournament there. Um, but it was kind of like because the hack is kind of that thing that New Zealanders are meant to do before every game and so when we were on the world tour it came up I think like the second or third year we were on the world tour once we started making more main draws and they were like hey why don't you guys do the hacker before each game and we were like are you crazy this is like we play like two to three games a day we'd be exhausted <laughs> <laughs> just wasting energy and so then we were like if we ever make a semi-final we'll do a hacker and then I mean, I think it was like two or three years later, here we are, we make a semi-final and uh, they come up to us and they're like, we all, we got to set up, you guys are doing a hug. And we're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, that night, me and Kirk were in our hotel room trying to get a little bit of practice in because I couldn't remember the last time I'd done it. <laughs> and then, uh, I mean, we, I mean, I was, I was a little worried. For sure, because normally when the hug is done, it's with like, I don't know, 20 people. And here we are, just two guys going out there. So it's a little embarrassing to see it because I don't think it looks that good. But the crowd, the crowd loved it. And uh, I mean, yeah, they they still bring it up every now and then when we see people that were there. And I was like, oh, I remember seeing you do the hug. It was pretty cool. Awesome. Awesome. So just to skip ahead when you get into the coaching game, were you always coaching in the U.S. or where did you technically get your start working with some beach teams? Yeah, so, <laughs> so what it came was uh, when I was doing that year of golf, I uh, obviously golf is very expensive and the tournaments cost a lot to enter. So I was like, man, I need to make a little bit of money to keep me going here. 
Um, so I started getting into some local, like, just private lessons and stuff. Um, and I was helping out. I was actually helping out the USA uh, youth program a little bit. And then also Hayden Jones was running a little bit of a uh, club uh, in Huntington Beach. And so I was helping him a bit. And then a country, uh, Vanuatu, um, they reached out to Hayden and said, hey, we need a coach. And so he told me, these girls need a coach on the world tour. Like, you know, this would be a good fit. So I kind of talked to them and they were like, yeah, we'll pay you to come look after these girls and coach them. And I was like, okay, let's do this. And that's pretty much how it got started. Like, that's how I, like, I was kind of just doing it to make a little bit of money. And then I got this position and it kind of, from there, just went more and more and more and more. And it's kind of crazy. Awesome. Awesome. So when you start coaching a, a country like that, what were your first steps? Cause obviously they've been competitive on the world tour, but I don't feel like it was established. Right. So you're kind of walking into a program you could mold your own way. So just looking back, like what did you do as a newer coach with this world tour team to kind of get them prepared? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'd actually seen them on the world tour back when I was playing as well. Um, I mean, they were super athletic girls and you know, it always gave like um, people a good run for their money, but I, I, I don't think they yeah they had never um, actually qualified uh, for a main draw. They had had been given a few wild cards, but never actually qualified themselves. So I think they were around like sixty or sixty fifth in the world at the time. And yeah, I so what happened was they flew me out uh, to the country, and I spent a couple of weeks out there with them to get to know the girls and uh, kind of train them. And I don't know, it was kind of like. It was a little overwhelming for me because it was <laughs> my first like full on. But pretty much, I just tried to think back through everything that I had experienced. You know, I was super lucky to have amazing coaches in New Zealand, and then we would go do big long training camps in Brazil. So I got a lot of like Brazilian coaches working with us. We did uh, some long camps in Germany, so I had awesome Germany coaches with us, and then. We did a lot of time in the States. So I feel like I got like a really good taste of every kind of coaching style. You know, like I feel like uh, USA back then was very much just like, you know, play matches. And then uh, Brazil was like, just get as many touches as possible. No, don't worry about technique, just get as many touches as possible. And then Germany was like very much like super good technique. And so I tried to gel everything together and find like my own way of like okay what's going to be the best way to get every little part of this and make them into the best players i possibly could and and then i think a big thing that i kind of learned doing that is that uh trust having that trust with them like obviously it took a little while to build it up but they slowly like you know believe more and more in me i think and then you know as we went out on tour it was that kind of like felt like a strong team because they trusted me as a coach Awesome. And if you don't mind just helping me with the timeline, was there any steps between them and joining up with Ben and Kane or what was going to be your journey to help them uh, at 2016? Cause I'm trying to think you, you stopped playing in 2012. This was your first team coaching. Was there anything in between or did you go stateside and then start working with our, our Canadian boys? Well, I, I actually played on the AVP tour for a little bit. Um, so I did that. And then so I was, I was coaching Manawatu playing on the AVP tour. And then when I was out on the world tour, uh, a Germany men's team uh, asked me to uh, work with them for one tournament. And so I worked with them and they ended up getting ninth in that tournament. And that's when Ben and Kane saw that I was working with the men's team as well. And so then the following tournament, they were like, came up to me and they are like, hey, you coaching men's as well? And I was like, well, that was just a one-off. And they were like, well, do you want to help us? I was like, yeah, we could try it out. And then that first tournament, I think, was in the Netherlands that I worked with them. Um, they ended up getting a 17th, which obviously wasn't amazing, but they were, they, I think they felt happy with how I was helping them. So they were like, hey, we'd like you to do the next one. Next tournament, they got a ninth. And then they're like, okay, we want the next one. Next one, they got a fifth. And that was kind of like the end of the year. So we kind of like took a 17th, ninth, fifth, and then the season was done. And they were like, hey, we want you know full time for next year and I was like okay this sounds good let's do this so then it was kind of I talked to Vanuatu and they were happy for me to coach both so I worked with Vanuatu and Ben and Cam, uh to try and qualify for the 2016 Olympics 
Nice. Yeah. Just to fill our listeners in. So Ben and Kane were considered senior athletes under our team Canada system. So they were allowed to be camp space. So I believe they spent most of their time in California with you, right? Like, I don't think you ever came yeah. to the full-time training center in Toronto or anything like that. No, uh, it never worked out. I, I talked with um, Steve, but yeah, it kind of was one of those things where, yeah, you kind of had to pay your own way for everything. <laughs> and uh, it was kind of like, well, I mean, do I need to be there? No. Okay. Well, I need to spend that money then. It was kind of one of those things. But yeah, so Ben came, uh, spent most of the time in California, and that's that's where we trained. And I actually got uh, Vanuatu to come and spend a good amount of time here with us as well, which worked out really good. That, that reminds me of another point Ben mentioned to bring up is that uh, you're you're a good traveler, and I believe you traveled, confirm or deny, with your own air mattress to help save funds sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, I've experienced it a little bit. I remember my first time I was traveling with Christian Redman and Felipe and, and I was helping Hernan coach a little bit and we're at the Long Beach Grand Slam and we qualify and I get my coach's badge and I'm feeling, I'm like, this is awesome. This is the world tour. And I go to the player's tent and a volunteer stops me and goes, the food is for players only. Coaches aren't allowed in here. And I was like, whoa, like coaches are second class citizens on world tour, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, this is something that uh, happened to me a lot is when I was playing, because I was 5'10 and everyone else was so massive, <laughs> I used to get held up and not let into those places all the time as well. And I had to like sundle around and find my badges and be like, no, I'm a player, leave me, come on, let me in. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty, uh, yeah, pretty on that about trying to keep it only players. But yeah, I feel like they could, they could be ones. They have actually changed, slightly changed that a little bit. There has been some events where they've let coaches in a little bit more, but... I mean, I feel like, like, is it going to really cost them that much more to let coaches have a few sandwiches? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's a pretty big uh, thing, so I don't know. So in listening to the results, and, and obviously there, there's going to be a lot of behind the scenes here, but uh, it seems like instant success for a lot of the teams you're working with with these results. So if, it, if it's not too personal, what do you think you're, you're very gifted at with a lot of these teams? Is it the tactical stuff? Like what were you able to do to, to influence these results? Because obviously the proof's in the pudding, like you were helping teams out and they, they felt like you were helping them, right? Because they kept you around. So what were you able to do right away, even though like you weren't necessarily training came and Ben, like they were already on tour. So you weren't influencing practice too much, I feel, but what were you doing in tournaments, like technically tactically to help them? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think like from playing on the world tour myself such a long time, um, seeing so many people, so many different people play in different styles. I think that was a big help for me in, in coming up with strategies of how to beat people. Um, I think that helped a lot. Yeah, I think, I mean, I like to think uh, my personality, like I'm, I'm a pretty chill, like easygoing person. So, you know, like on the world tour, you know, when you have a team, the coach is going to be around the team a lot. You know, you don't have that, that much separation. So, you know, having that person around and I'm not high maintenance or, you know, something like that, just a, you know, pretty chill, fun person, I think. Yeah, then it, I think it just made it easy go with that and then I think yeah like I said with all those different coaching styles that I had seen I think that helped uh, me kind of putting that into one kind of package um, I think the, the players kind of like that now with you going through with Ben and Kane and the other teams you're working with I'm wondering when you get to the Olympics is it really just a, a different animal than the world tour like what can a coach really do to help guide the the players through that process like is it just overwhelming with the amount of other athletes there the distractions being in the village traveling to the venue the size of the venue like is it just that much different that it makes you uncomfortable even though the court's the same size you're playing against the same teams like it's it seems pretty similar but it, a lot of things are different right we actually uh i can't remember how early we actually got there we actually got there a little late because we played in the Klagenfurt tournament grand slam right before olympics because we felt like like kind of the leading up to it we always 
like we always kind of like if we played a tournament the next one we did a little bit better and then the next one we did a little bit better but whenever we had that two week break that first tournament was always about a little rust there so we didn't really want to have too long of like no tournament before the Olympics so we went to um Grand Slam right before which the guys actually got third and so we were feeling pretty confident and we had to change our flights to get to the Olympics so we felt like we got there kind of a little bit late um like I think like the whole thing was just like your first few days there you're just like man we're at the Olympics this is you know amazing how massive everything is yeah the whole village and the whole food court was just huge our first training in the stadium I think was at like midnight um and it was just pretty cool being in there by ourselves, checking out the whole stadium and just kind of looking around. But then once you kind of got through those first couple of days, then it was kind of like, hey, like, okay, we need to start switching on and getting into that mindset of like, this is just another tournament. You know, we've done this before. We just got to do this again kind of thing. Um, so there was definitely that, uh, I think, moment at the beginning. But I think we as a team did a pretty good job of getting into that mindset of just like, okay, let's do our normal routines our normal stuff that we always do with our trainings, pre-trainings and, and getting ready for games. And then once we were kind of, then it was like, okay, now we can go back into the mode of, well, here we are at Olympics. Nice. And, and when we had Ben on the show, he was nice enough to share his goals where he's not a big guy who likes to think of cycles. Like he just wants to go to tournaments and do his best over and over again. So I'm wondering with that being his influence and then obviously with, with Kame's personality, did you guys have an outright goal that said like, we want to be, we we're here to win the Olympics or, or was it external? Were you talking about process and how you wanted to play? Like how did you guys feel going into the games? I mean, we felt pretty good. I can't remember exactly how many medals the guys won uh, during the qualifying process. I think it might've been like four. Yeah, they. I mean, like they were. I mean, almost every tournament, like knocking on the door, um, and and they seem to be just getting better and better. And like, I think that confidence of like, hey, like we can win medals out here, and it's just the same teams at the Olympics. So like, why can't we do it at the Olympics? So like, I think we we obviously had that mindset of like one game at a time, you know, going through that. But our big goal was to try and win a medal for sure. Because we knew we could do it. We just had to put everything together at that time. Nice, nice. And then not to skip over some stuff, there's just lots to cover. But uh, to fast forward a little bit, came obviously being a dual citizen himself and Mary's a wonderful American girl. He chooses to go to the U.S. And I imagine there was other stuff to go into that. So, so the team splits up. How soon after... Because the team doesn't exist, obviously you're not going to coach them. How soon after did Nick and Phil pay attention, or what was the next step for you to start working with uh, some US teams? Uh, well, I actually um, went to Phil and Nick before came being split up. Um, it was actually one of the, the hardest decisions that I've done in a long time. So yeah, I was coaching Ben and Came, and it was 2017, and it was kind of early in the year. Um, I think we had played one tournament, Fort Lauderdale Grand Slam, and we would train with Phil and Nick like uh, pretty much every Friday. And then, uh, yeah, Nick kind of calls me up or he sent me a text message. He's like, hey, can I chat with you? And I was like, this is pretty weird. Like he, he's never texted me to chat. Like he, he might text me to be like, hey, we're good for training or something, but that's it. And then, yeah, he called me up and was like, hey, we, we've seen what you've done as a coach and what you've done as a player. And, you know, we'd really love you to come and be part of our team and, and coach us. Do you think you'd be interested? And I was like, oh man I was like yeah, I gotta think about this and obviously probably two or three nights of feeling sick to my stomach thinking about it and I remember having a phone call with my dad and I was like man like what do you think and I was like you know this is a chance to coach I mean arguably the best player ever in the game um, and like this team is doing ridiculous right now and obviously Nick Lucena amazing player in his own right as well alongside uh, Phil yeah I had to tell the guys and it was, it was really hard it was yeah, really tough wow yeah thanks thanks for sharing that so it, it does beg the question Phil is arguably the greatest player of all time and obviously Nick has accomplished a lot and Nick's the one being targeted right so he's the one getting it done but when you start coaching them was there ever a moment of hesitation or did you know you could help them right away because uh, from my own experience I would be intimidated trying to give Phil Dalhauser instruction right so what was that experience like that you were just so confident in your skills and you're like you know what these guys think I can help them so I'm gonna help them or was there ever a moment where it's like dude you're Phil Dalhauser just hit it on two or block it like that's what you do um I mean yeah for sure I mean I 
I was like the, the fact that they were asking me to be the coach. I think was, uh, I mean, that was probably the biggest thing for me to be like, oh, they actually think I can help them. Man, okay. <laughs> uh, so that was like, I definitely didn't have that thought. Like, oh yeah, I know, I'm an amazing coach. I can help them. It was definitely uh, like, wow, okay, they want me to try to help them. Okay, let's see if I can try to help them. <laughs> um, but I remember sitting the first time I sat down and talked with them, and I mean, I've known them for a pretty long time too like I played against them on the world tour my their actual first uh, world tour event was in Klagenfurt I can't remember what year I think it might be 2005 or 2006 and they were playing together they just won their first AVP and uh, me and Kirk ended up playing them in the last round of the qualifier and uh, and of course we had heard that they just won AVP so we were like damn these guys are good and I think we ended up losing like 21-19 21-18 like decently close but I remember one, one point in the rally where Phil got set maybe like 10 feet off the net and Kirk drops and Phil crushes like this crazy sharp angle and I was like wow I was like uh, Kirk uh, maybe we shouldn't drop on this guy ever again <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah so obviously I've known them on the tour a long time and trained with them so already knew them as, as pretty good friends already but when we sat down we kind of chatted and like their kind of mindset was like, okay, if you can just help us 1%, you know, that would be huge. So that was my kind of mindset going in. Hey, if I can just help them 1%, you know, get a little bit better, that would, you know, that would be big for them. And that kind of ended, turned into that kind of, we kind of kept talking about that that first year. Like, okay, we feel like we got 1% better. Can we get another percent better? You know, kind of going along on that mindset, which was kind of cool. But yeah, it was, it was uh, I remember the first few trainings, I felt a little... A little nervous, sure, like saying, uh, like I remember talking to Phil about his passing, like, hey, I was like, <laughs> I think I was like, hey, it looks like you're getting your hands together too early. You want to try uh, holding them apart a little bit longer, maybe wait till the balls actually cross the top of the net before you put them together? And he was just like, yeah, okay, sounds good. <laughs> I was like, cool. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, it kind of just grew from there. And then I think the, I always kind of like that that thought of the trust and I think the trust keep kind of building as us as a team and we keep kind of trusting each other more and more in what we say and I, I always have that kind of whoever I coach even with the band and wider girls no matter who it is and, and this kind of comes back from when me and Kirk played with uh, Craig Susa as our coaches that you know um, we're, we're a, a team of three um, and everything should kind of flow in that conversation there's no one person that's higher than the other and like looking at them and saying, hey, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. It's no like, I'm going to put my opinion in, you'll put yours, we'll discuss it, come out with the best answer and move forward from there. And I think that's a, you know, a pretty important thing with how our team kind of works. I was hoping you could share what you guys do in training because I would put Nick in the club with you, Heath and Todd, where again, if there's 500 balls that weekend, he's getting 480, right? So how are you guys preparing for training? Like, is he honestly getting more volume than Phil? Is it even, uh, how are you preparing him? Because, uh, I think it's tempting sometimes to say, well, he's the one getting served. So if they win, he did well, if they lose, he didn't. Right. I think that's too easy of an answer, but I'm wondering what are you doing in training to prepare him? Because I think at crunch time, he knows he needs to be the guy and he needs to deliver. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a a lot of pressure on him and and he, you know, you know, it's tough being under there and we try to work a lot on the mental side too, to like help, relieve that if we can and then obviously that's something we've been working on a lot is with uh, Phil's on too is making that a lot stronger so then that's obviously a, a good option to get a, take a little bit of pressure off him but um, in training wise I mean it's actually pretty interesting because with them being you know, <laughs> a little bit older um, and, and obviously they've played for a super long time so we really try to focus our trainings around on um, really high quality instead of a lot of quantity because like we don't want to be doing thousands of balls um, and wearing down their bodies even more you know so we really work on like okay we're going to try and do it might be like 10 perfect swings into the spot and then once we've done it that's it that part's done and we move on to the next one you know okay we need to get 10 perfect passes down the line working on that shoulder getting that ball back into the spot we want it you know, once we've done it, that's done. So then I think it kind of helps them. Because they, they, they have been playing for such a long time, they don't like having super long training. So it helps them get that mindset of like, hey, if I get this done really good, then we're done. We're done for the day. So, um, 
that's the kind of mindset we go with. But yeah, with Nick, with the side out, we work a lot on his hand-eye contact on the ball and his footwork and getting on the shoulder. He really likes that. We do a lot of stuff where he's not actually doing a lot of jumping so that we can do more of that. Yeah, a lot of things like that to try and help that out. And when he has that good feel, he has that confidence and he actually sides out really good. I think in sports, this gets overhyped a little bit, but I think people have this impression that to be the best, you have to be training and playing against the best. So not to knock the Florida scene, but with you guys playing there, I feel it as a Canadian where our athletes sometimes feel, you know, I got to get to California. I got to play. I got to do a training camp there. I got to play against these guys and these women because that's that's the top tier, right? So with you being in Florida, do you guys ever feel the pressure that you're not playing against some of the competition that is available to you in California? Or how have you manage that to still get like meaningful game reps so you're prepared for these tournaments that's so funny because we, we do hear that a lot like uh you know why are you guys you know why are you guys in california you know, where you know you can't be playing your best if you're not out here but i don't think that's <laughs> true um i think like the way we kind of do it is we kind of set it up so especially early on in our preseason, we're working on a lot of like you know skill technique stuff just in our team and then we'll start bringing in, we have some young kids that are, you know, around us. We have uh, John Justice, he actually helps us out. He's got amazing ball control, so it's really good having him. And then he'll normally bring along some big kid, you know, so we kind of manipulate the drills so that it makes it really hard on Phil and Nick. So that kind of brings up that intensity for them. And then what we do when we get kind of start getting closer to the tournament is we will bring in a really good team to train against. So... I mean, a few years ago, we had uh, Sam, the two Sam, so, and uh, so they came out and trained with us for a few weeks. Then, uh, this year, we had Nikolai Lupo come out, and then we had uh, we actually had Ben Saxon and uh, Grant come out. Who else do we have? So we we kind of always try and plan it. So we have like a a solid team for at least a week to two weeks before we go into a tournament. And then once we start the tournaments, it's kind of like you. You're out on the world tour anyway, so you're playing against the best and training against the best. So that's the kind of way that we kind of shape it. Nice. And I was hoping to build on your earlier point about your coaching style, because I agree with you. When I think of Brazil coaching style, it's find one way. We're going to give you a million reps and multi-balls. The, the German way where we have Leonard Krapp here, and he's very technical, very specific on what he's doing. And then, yeah, the, the California knock of the U.S. is let's just set up the boom box, put it beside the court, and we're going to play matches all day. So with you and other assist to Ben, he talked about... You're so good at multi-ball drills. You're so good at like warm-up games where even sometimes you'll jump in and you'll beat them from time to time, right? So how do you like to structure your practice? Are you hopping in from time to time to keep it loose? Like what are some things that like if you're going to be coached by Jason Lockhead, these are some things you're going to get? Yeah, I love the, the warm-up games where it's kind of a lot of hand-eye where you kind of have to use your brain, you have to use your vision and you kind of have you know multiple things going on. I really like it because I feel like a lot of times in training you kind of have that slow start and you're sluggish in and then, you know, about half, by the time you get halfway through the training you actually start firing. So I kind of really love those little warm-up games that uh, get the mind and the hand-eye going. Um, those are the ones I'll jump in just because I, <laughs> I like to win. <laughs> I'm still competitive. Um, so I find them super fun. Also, I think it like uh, – uh, right now, uh, me, Phil, and Nick, we have this one game that they really love playing, and uh, so we seem to be doing that one a lot. But I think you know, like me jumping in and playing against them, like kind of spurs, you know, gets that competitiveness going a little bit more. Like instead of if it was just them playing each other, you know, it might be a little bit like, oh, you know, whatever. But when I jump in, it's like, oh, okay, you know, we we got to win, we got to win this, and you know, so it gets a little fiery. And then if one guy's winning too much, and the other two kind of chirp at them, and it creates a little bit of a fun atmosphere. Uh, but yeah, I definitely love starting with that. The rest of the training, it kind of it all depends, like depending on what part of the season it is. But normally, I always like to have that uh, kind of technical or a little bit of technical stuff to start. And then whatever, you know, whatever what we're working on that day, whether it's like a blocking thing or, you know, a defense thing, then as of the training progresses, then I start making it a little bit harder and then it slowly turns more game-like until maybe at the end it's like a full-on game with that working on that technique. And yeah, it kind of depends what time, what part of the season. Like earlier in the season, it's going to be a lot more technical and then as we get closer to game time, it goes more into, okay, we need to be playing more and getting us more of that free skill so we're not thinking too much, we're just doing it. 
again, I'm sure our listeners are perking up. I was wondering if you could give us an example. Like, are you putting conditions on these warm up drills? Are you playing short court? Like, if you had to pick one and just give us a quick description, what is like a, a multi ball or a, a coordination or a look working on vision warm up drill that somebody could steal from me right now? When you mentioned you stole that from the Italians, I'm thinking I'm a big fan of Lupo's game, and I can see him dominating this with how creative and all the shots yeah. he has. Right? <laughs> yeah, he, he's pretty damn good at this game. We, he's actually uh, he's might have been might be the best damn shot uh, player I've ever played against. We uh, when he was out there training with Nick and Phil, uh, me and Nick would go against uh, him and his coach, and we we didn't win one game. They were ridiculous. It was pretty fun there. And I think what people don't realize with him, he's bigger than people think. Like, I know he plays like a small game with the dip and dive shots, but he's like 6'4", isn't he? I think he's 6'5". Wow, yeah. He plays a small guy style, but he's actually a pretty big dude. Yeah. Awesome. And then uh, some of our listeners would have recognized you from the AVP stuff that just happened. And uh, I thought it was outstanding. The, The broadcast was good. The play was really good. If I had one knock, the commentators would not stop talking during timeouts. So they would zoom in on you, Phil and Nick, and I'd be like, oh, I can't wait to hear this. And then they'd shoot to a promo or do something else. So I'm wondering... Um, Everybody who was coaching there obviously had like a book. So when you're allowed to coach at AVP or you're doing your NCAA stuff, what are some things that you're tracking and giving feedback on? And then the flip side of that would be when you're on world tour and not allowed to coach, what are some things you're expecting Phil and Nick to retain to make their plan? Like when you have the bonus of coaching, what are you responsible for? And then what are you doing on tour to kind of coach them up when it's, you know, traditional rules like tennis where you're just not allowed to interact with the players? Yeah. Um, so with the coaching in the box, um, I kind of changed my style a little bit over the years. Like um, I think in the beginning, I used to take a lot of stats and I'd be constantly writing stuff down. But I feel like when I'm doing that, I feel like I'm kind of missing what's going on in the game. So I'm just focused on like, okay, did Nick slide out into this spot or did Phil go into, you know, I'm thinking too much of that. Um, so now I really... Uh, I normally have like a court drawn on my piece of paper and I might jot down a couple of notes, but most of the things I'll kind of remember in my head. And most of the time I'm looking at what's going on with the other team, like 
you know, like, are they doing what we saw in the video or have they changed something slightly or do they have a tendency right now, like, where they're trying to go? I'm trying to, like, see that kind of stuff. But then if Phil and Nick start struggling a little bit, then I'll probably start watching them a little bit more and be like, okay, you know, what's going on with their technique? Why are we struggling? Is it something they're doing, the other team's doing on defense or is it we're doing? So that's the kind of stuff that I'm kind of thinking about uh, during that. The kind of cool thing that happened in these three tournaments was the new changer rule where you're actually allowed to talk to them between every single point now, not just uh, the timeouts and set. So it was actually kind of cool. Phil, cool, Phil and Nick were like, hey, uh, we, we want you to use this. Like if you ever see opportunity, like, hey, run this play, serve this spot, you know, tell us. So um, most of the games they were winning pretty solid, but there were a few opportunities where I kind of, said, hey, like, let's run this right now and do this, which was kind of fun to uh, be able to throw that in the mix. And then World Tour is kind of totally different because you can't say anything, which is brutal, <laughs> even though I think a lot of the other countries do yell stuff out, but also I need to learn some more languages to make sure of that. But yeah, normally what we do with that is we'll watch film on the other team and we'll kind of run through, like, you know, what their tendencies are, like when they get into this position, they normally do this, and when they get into that position, they normally do that, and then we'll talk about, you know, like, you know, where, where can we serve them to put them in that position, like, if we serve them wide, is it going to be better for us to run a line block or a dive block or a three, you know, what's going to get them into the most trouble, so we'll kind of talk through all that kind of stuff, so when they're in the game, they can be like, okay, I know if I serve them wide, we've got a good opportunity to win a point if we run this, um, and, and, and that's the kind of way that we work. And so we kind of look at all these different tendencies and give them as much feedback. And then obviously Phil and Nick are super experienced themselves. So they kind of take that and they feel it out. Like, is that person doing that stuff? Like, do we need to adjust this slightly? And then they are pretty good at seeing, like, okay, we thought we were going at the right side player, but actually he's playing really good. The other guy is looking weaker. We need to switch this quick. So we always talk about both players, what kind of tendencies they have, what can we do against both players? And then we always say, okay, this is a guy we're probably going to go at more, but we never serve anyone 100%. We'll kind of be like, okay, we're going to serve him three to one or maybe four to one kind of thing. But always with that mindset of, hey, like things can change, things are going to adapt. But as long as they have those tendencies, they can kind of make it work. Yeah, yeah. Just a quick follow up there. So I find it fascinating that you're just looking for situations and seeing if their tendency matches. And, and just with your serving ratio, so. Obviously, you're not going to stick to that, like three to him. So we have to go one to him. But are you are you keeping that even throughout the set? Are you trying to target one guy and then maybe go at somebody during the close? Like what goes into the situation of trying to keep it even? And I guess my other question would be, is that just to avoid somebody getting into rhythm that you want to make keep both guys kind of in the game and not make it almost predictable that they can get into a rhythm and really feel their side out? Yeah, Um, I think it changes sometimes. Sometimes we talk about that. I know on the AVP in these tournaments, we... I think uh, I think it was against Casey and Theo actually. Um, we we were like, hey, let's make sure we serve the other guy a few, just so he doesn't get in, into a rhythm. Like we feel like we're on top of him, but we don't want him to get get hot right now. So we kind of stay away from that. So that definitely happens. Um, sometimes you, we have that ratio where we're like, okay, three on this guy, one on this guy. But it's more like it doesn't have to be exactly like that. It's like that's just kind of like a feeler. Like feel it out. Like, hey, have we served? How many times have we served this guy? I mean, he sided out like three or four times in a row. Okay, we need to go with the other guy now for at least one, and then we can come back. You know, so it's kind of like almost like in the back of your mind, a little reminder: how many times has this guy sided out in a row? We need to switch this for a little bit and test the other guy, and then we can come back to this guy. Nice, nice. And I, I was hoping you could share what your debrief process is. So obviously, with Phil and Nick, they're going to win. A lot of games so i imagine there, there's no pressing the panic button but i'm wondering after a competition's done what do you guys do to either apply that to training or get ready for the next one and and even to share maybe like a ben and came story where they're just going to event after event after event that maybe you don't have time to actually drill something out but maybe you can just have a quick conversation about what you're going to change right i feel like it's uh, always slightly different because i feel like every game is slightly different like sometimes it could be something technical that like we were struggling with and it's like hey like remember we were talking about working on getting it on your shoulder well that ball was like way over your head and that's why you're getting you know blocked a ton or something it could be something like that or it could be like hey you just look really flat out there like what, what happened in the warm-up like do we need to change something uh yes it seems to always be 
something a little different. But normally, if it's something that we, like obviously we lost that we're sitting down, we're talking about. Like normally, I'll ask them first, like what did they think? So what was going on through their minds? Like what they thought about the game, and then I would give them my feedback, and then we'll kind of like put those three thoughts together to try and figure out, like okay, like how can we not make this happen again and make it better for the next time. Nice. It's been great to hear about your coaching career and how you've always kind of managed coaching men and women. So I'm wondering with Phil and Nick now and with your role at Florida State coaching with the women's team there, is there any different approaches you would take? Like I think maybe technically, tactically in the women's game, I think it's, it would be offside to say that they drop or peel more, I think just with the demands of their game and the playing style. But other than something obvious like that, do you approach it the same way or is there just minor details you would maybe make changes that you could give our listeners just about the difference between men's and women's beach right now? Well, I feel like NCAA is a, a little different than just the women's tour in general, just because, and I, this is the first time I've really had this, like normally it's a team picks you and you're their coach. We're now, you know, we're the Florida State coaches and we pick who plays together and, you know, kind of who gets to come on the team. So that, that whole concept is like, totally new to me so I'm kind of feeling that out and it's actually been kind of fun like figuring out like hey, who would be the best team together who's going to play well together and who um, enhances each other's skills kind of thing but as far as like just coaching I actually I try to bring the same mindset and um, and the way I coach so I always go in with um, no one is the same we're all different people we all have different body types and play different styles so I would never I always use this uh, saying now is that I'll never coach Phil to play like me and, you know, I'll never coach someone like me to try and play like Phil. We're just totally different body types, totally different styles. So I always try to look at each person and try to find, like, how can we make you the best you um, as a player? And, and that's the kind of way I, I try to go about it. So that I never, I don't really look at it as, like, a oh, woman is different than men because I feel like some of the women are crazy athletic and can crush balls. Um, and there's some men that I know that don't hit that hard. <laughs> um, so I, I feel like I just try to look at it as like, how, how can I make this person as good as they can be kind of thing. Now at a Florida State practice, is there more teaching and a focus on learning? Like I like what you mentioned about Phil and Nick and obviously like almost like a mountain climber type drill where if they get their 10, like they're done. But at Florida State, are you starting with like similar warm-up games and doing a technical focus at the start and building into gameplay? Or how do you guys like to run it there? Uh, definitely very similar, um, but probably the like we're still obviously going for really high uh, quality, but probably more quantity than we do with Phil and Nick because obviously they're young and they their bodies can handle it, and and you know they're new to the sport, so they need they need a lot of touches. Where Phil and Nick have already done thousands and thousands of touches, so they don't need as much, even though they still need touches, but not as much as you know, young. So that's probably the difference. But yeah, still do all those fun games. Uh, a lot of the girls, uh, they, they pretty much even train. They're like, oh, what is it going to be today? Um, <laughs> but I, I think they all love it. And, uh, yeah, obviously, depending on what time in the season, if it's early, it'll be a lot more technical, but still get into a little bit of play. And then as we get closer to the game time, that technical kind of disappears, and we try to get them to not think as much and just play. Great, Jason. This has been awesome. I, I think we've we've covered everything I wanted to talk about, and I want to thank you for sharing all the stories because uh, – obviously a, a very high level player and it's great to see what you've done in the coaching world. And I, I've learned a lot this episode. I'm sure the listeners have too. So thank you. We're definitely going to steal some ideas here, but uh, just, just to close out your episode here, one thing we're trying to make a tradition on the show is just to tell a, a funny story to give us a laugh. So I think in the world of beach volleyball, you're, you're a professional athlete, but man, does some funny or odd stuff happen every once in a while. So wondering with a, a guy who like you who played 116 events, you've been on world tour since you were 20, like take us away. Is there something you can give us a laugh before we let you go? It's probably a little bit of a laugh, and it was a little bit scary. Um, but uh, we were playing on the Asian tour. I'm not going to be able to remember what year. Maybe 2007, 2006. Um, it was in Indonesia, Bali. And uh, we were in the final. And uh, it was in the middle of the game. And so the stadium that they built around us was made out of bamboo. And it was packed. I mean, there's probably like... 3,000 people on the stadium and uh, it collapsed. Wow. <laughs> the whole stadium just fell to pieces. And I know they say bamboo is super strong. The bamboo didn't break. Whatever was brought into the gear must have like 
fell to pieces and the whole thing fell down and we were like whoa what is going on freaking out and then they were telling us oh just keep playing and we're like seriously <laughs> like, there's people <laughs> and and within maybe like 10 points everyone had kind of cleared out a little bit and they rebuilt the stadium and everyone <laughs> came back in and hopped back on it and we finished the game it was crazy we were like are you serious you just rebuilt this whole thing that quick and then everyone just hopped back on thinking that it was going to be fine. I, I don't know if anyone got hurt, but that was crazy. And then to top it off, at the end of the game, uh, we actually won, which was awesome. So we won the game. And then uh, someone from the crowd came out onto the court and uh, wanted to get Kurt's uh, singlet playing top. And, and <laughs> the guy was pretty short. And Kirk was kind of like, you know, you can have it if you can jump up and grab it. <laughs> so this guy was trying to, <laughs> trying to jump up and grab it and then uh, he finally got it, uh, got it off Kirk and everyone was like cheering and stuff and then everyone from the state grandstand started to come down and we were like, okay, this is, this is okay but then they started coming close to us and like, hey, can we have that? Can we have your hat? Can we have your sunglasses? And we were like, whoa, no, you can't, you can't have that and then people just started grabbing it off us. Wow. And uh, so like, my hat, the only thing I was left was my shorts. Um, and uh, and then luckily, like, the guys we were playing with, they, like, kind of grabbed us and kind of hustled us out of there. And then <laughs> they took us over and they gave us the trophies and they gave us the prize money in cash. And I was like, are you serious right now? I just got everything taken off me. I might need to get back to the hotel room with all this money. But luckily, everyone kind of had kind of dispersed at that time and uh, – and kind of left. I think it was like they saw that Kurt gave a playing top, so they thought, oh, you know, they could probably give everything that they play with. I don't know. It was the weirdest thing, craziest thing, but it was pretty funny to laugh back now. <laughs> oh, that, that's great. With us mostly having Canadian and U.S. guests from the beach, it, we usually get a few Norseka stories. It's good to add an, an Asian tour to our list to show that uh, every continental tour might be off just by a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit of craziness everywhere. All right, Jason, man, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time. So just to recap, you're, you're currently working with Florida State. You're currently coaching Phil and Nick. Uh, you're, you're making as much time to golf, but uh, I understand to do all this, you must have a pretty awesome family. So thanks to them for letting you do this. And uh, anything else you want to say before we let you go? Yeah. No, um, I mean, at the moment, we've got this little seven-month-year-old, Harper, which has just been awesome. And, uh, I mean, I've got a pretty amazing wife, Jacqueline, who's just been helping out a ton and making like my life pretty easy with coaching and, and helping look after her. So it's been a lot of fun. Great, man. Well, easy guy to root for. Like I said, thanks for coming on and sharing all you did. And uh, I'm sure we'll be cheering you on when we get back to normal here. Awesome. Thanks for having me.